hi, and welcome back to From Tits to Toes. I am Dr. Michaela Rush, an OBGYN. And I am Dr. Ann Sharkey, a podiatrist. We are having so much fun creating these episodes and are so glad you have tuned in again, or maybe for the first time, who knows. Yeah. Before we dive in, we wanted to share a review from one of our listeners. Chastity writes in and says, Every time I listen to this podcast, I feel like I'm having a chat with my best friend or sister. It's so relatable with so much valuable information. Thanks for keeping me laughing during these hard times. Thank you, Chastity, for your review. All right, let's get started. What are you uh, up to these days? Um, Still house hunting, right? Still house hunting. This Austin market is bananas. So, So, I I love the fact that you found a house literally across the street from me for up for sale over the past weekend, and I didn't even know it was going up for sale. (laughs) And you said, I think there's a house for sale on your street. And and I was like, oh, really? Send me the address. And you sent me the address, and it is one number off from mine. I know. Across the street, which would have been amazing. It was like the perfect house to, it's so sad. It popped on Zillow. Like this is how this goes. Like I'm having breakfast. It's Sunday morning. It pops up on Zillow. I'm like, oh, we need to go see this house. So open house starts at two o'clock. We arrive like shortly before two. There's 20 cars in the road. And my husband's like, we should just leave. Like there's no chance. We're not doing this. Like, no, no, we need to go inside and just look. And side story is probably I'm the most picky person about everything in the world. Yeah. And I've always had my heart set on building another house. But I walked in like, this house is perfect. It's so beautiful. It has a pool and it's a ranch and everything was done and it sold in like 12 hours. So they have been selling within a day on our street. And that's why I told you, I was like, oh my gosh, if there's a house for sale, it'll sell within the day. You have to yeah. go check it out and do it and now. We were, yeah, we were so prepared to put in an offer, but we didn't even get a chance. Like, we're still, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, oh, so, you know, the, the Sharky future home search continues, but that's all right. We have a, yeah. a perfectly wonderful house where we're at. We just really want a pool, so. Yeah. Uh, well, how perfect would that have been and how easy for our podcast if you were just across I, the street? I know. We could we could just we could have just done it so much easily so oh man oh well how about you what have you been up to oh you know same old we just went to the ranch last weekend and checked on the bees but um not not a whole lot just you know ranch maintenance yeah you posted so one of the hives one of the bees you had to give some sugar water to or something Mm -hmm. so we checked on all the hives and one of them seemed a lot less active so i took videos and uh, pictures and I was communicating with my mother who's helping with the bees and we were worried about hive number three so we decided to go ahead and feed them because it was just a little worrisome we didn't know if they had enough stores and it's hard to dig around them in the winter you don't want to pull them out and open it up too much so we uh it was warm enough to be able to take the top off and kind of peek a little bit but we were wanting to check on them and feed them a little bit more so to kind of keep them stronger to get them through into yeah. spring yeah luckily it's been warmer this week so hopefully that helped too yeah how often do you check in on them in the winter it's not as often because you kind of hope to tidy them up and you know get them safe for the winter and hope that they can live off of their own stores but uh, we like to check on them here and there and when it's a warmer day we can kind of peek in there or check on them or they will be coming out a little bit to find what pollen and nectar and things that they can but 
Um, you can see a little bit of activity on the outside of the hive whenever yeah. it's a little warmer. But Too bad they can't feed on cedar. Yeah, right? <laughs> Everyone's complaining about the cedar. Like, thankfully, I don't have cedar allergies. Yeah. Um, maybe I haven't lived here long enough yet. I don't know. But I was like, well, if bees could eat up the cedar pollen, I think we'd have a lot of happy people. Oh, man. Yeah. Take it away. Take it all. <laughs> oh, so funny. <laughs> all right. So I think the only other thing really this week is I, I, I did, and I think you did too, I got my second dose of the COVID vaccine. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What was your experience like? So I got my second dose about a week ago and I was actually fine. I was kind of worried, you know, nobody ever knows how it's going to go. But, um, after my first injection, I just felt really sleepy. I was just really fatigued that first night and I was tired and I just wanted to go to bed early, but that was it. And then the second shot was really fine. I may have had like a little headache in the morning, but I took some Tylenol and run, but that was it. How about awesome. you? <laughs> I had a totally different experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was kind of a, a lot of people have reported just 24 hours of feeling really fatigued and muscle aches. And um, so I got mine on Tuesday about 2.30 in the afternoon. And by about 8 o'clock, I could feel like muscle aches coming on. And then I woke up in the middle of the night, like just full on sweating. I was joking before. I'm like, my boobs were sweating. Like this was out of control. <laughs> the and, um, and then I woke up in the morning and had a pretty bad headache and just really extreme chills. But then by about, I don't know, 30 to 36 hours later, it was just gone. So yeah. I'm back to normal. Not and heard that it just completely dissipates. I in know, it. but it was, oh. I guess my immune system was stimulated. I was doing what it's supposed to do. And now I, you know, like, peace out COVID. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> and you just got to hunker down for that first 24 hours. Yeah, exactly. It was a, it was um like a free pass to napping. I totally took advantage of that. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to bed and I'm going to lay here. And that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. We've recommended for a few people to get theirs on Fridays so that they have that weekend to kind of recover so they don't miss work maybe the next day just in case they are symptomatic. Well, and our office staff all went on the same day. Um, and so, but you have this window of time to get the second shot. So we're kind of trying to stagger them a little bit because I was like, we can't have no MAs in the office 24 hours later. So. No, I, I agree. I think if you're going to do it, you kind of stagger your people. If you have a small office, you need to stagger your people a little bit just so that they you don't run it buffer. If, I mean, they could, no one could have side effects and everyone could have side effects, but we, we obviously need staff to run an office. So yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we have an exciting episode on board this week. We're going to talk about, um, pregnancy, kind of what to expect tips. Yeah. Like do's and don'ts and do's and, and don'ts. Yep. All right. Well, let's get started. So this episode is mostly about pregnancy do's and don'ts kind of thing. The things we kind of talk about at the very first visit on our uh, pregnancy patients that are newly pregnant or their first visit to the office uh, confirming the pregnancy. So it's kind of like that big counseling visit. So these are probably the most common things that we talk about. Um, so yeah. What, what, um, at what time do you recommend that first visit to occur? Usually in our office, we schedule them around seven to eight weeks because that's the time on an ultrasound you can really confirm a pregnancy, make sure there's a heartbeat, check the viability. The earliest you can really see a heartbeat on ultrasound 
is barely at six weeks. And so we kind of like to make sure we have that little bit of buffer. So seven to eight weeks is usually when we schedule them in our office. Okay. And then how long, how long is it usually like an hour long appointment or what should people expect? Yeah, it's probably at least an hour because for us, anyway, we have an ultrasound and the visit to kind of go over all this counseling and the information and give out lab orders and packets and everything. So yeah, it is a longer visit on the very first one because it's a lot of information. I'm sure. Information overload. (laughs) Right. All right. So the main thing, first thing is just prenatal vitamins. So we want to make sure everybody's on a prenatal vitamin. Ideally, you want to be on it before you conceive. Um, If you weren't planning on getting pregnant or if it was a surprise, you just want to make sure that you get on prenatal vitamins as soon as you find out you're pregnant. Um, For iron, you want to make sure there's a decent amount of iron in there because you can become deficient in iron and anemic through the pregnancy. So They recommend at least 15 to 30 milligrams a day of iron, which is usually in the prenatal vitamins. So usually that will be sufficient. However, we do check anemia levels or check your blood count later on in the pregnancy midway through to see how well you're doing on that. So usually we will let you know if you're anemic halfway through um, and if you need to bump it up some more. Sure. Um, So, And I've always wondered, I mean, I know that iron is important. Is there any complications to the fetus if you're anemic or is it more for health of the mother? It's more about mom. Um, So whenever you do deliver, you're going to, you're going to lose blood no matter what. So um, if you're already starting off low and anemic and you lose that blood, you may need a transfusion just to be functional um, and not be dizzy. So the body has a natural mechanism where, you know, it kind of bl- doubles your blood volume while you're pregnant. So that inevitably dilutes your blood volume a tad. So you will become more anemic during a pregnancy, which is why it's important to increase the iron. Okay. Uh, folic acid is also important. So usually 0.4 to 0.8 milligrams are recommended daily. Sometimes if there is a history of a neural tube defect in the family or previous pregnancy, we'll recommend taking up to four milligrams but uh, usually it's 0.4 to 0.8. So usually most prenatal vitamins are about 8.8 milligrams or 800 micrograms, um, generally anyway. Sometimes the prescription ones will be about 1,000 micrograms. Um, So diet, we get a lot of questions on diet and food safety, what you can and can't eat. Um, Obviously basic stuff like washing your fruits and vegetables before eating them raw or cooking them. Um, avoiding unpasteurized products like unpasteurized milk, juice, cider, cheese. So certain soft cheeses may not be pasteurized, like brie, mm-hmm. some of those. So you just want to make sure that it's pasteurized. But some of them are actually pasteurized, so you just have to check it and see. I remember checking – yeah, checking the labels a lot um, when I was pregnant. Yeah, you just got to check to make sure it's but pasteurized. I love cheese. <laughs> oh, yeah, cheese is the best. Um, my family came from, my family loves cheese. So my mother and father used to buy it by the wheel actually. And yeah. We well, would, I mean, when you grow up in Wisconsin, it's just oh, like yeah. in your blood. <laughs> I think my oh. blood is cheese curds. Oh man. Cheese curds are the best. And we don't have the good cheese curds down here. You got to have those no. good squeaky cheese curds. Right. You, you got to actually have them like warm and fresh and mm. from a farmer's market and they're delicious. Yes. Especially those flavored ones, like garlic flavored. Mm-hmm. Or they have all kinds of flavored cheese curds. Oh, they're amazing. Yeah. Um, all right. Then like pre-made meat and seafood salads, like deli chicken, ham, tuna salad, things like that. You just want to make sure 
Um, if you if it's like a pre-made salad, seafood salad or something like that, you want to kind of avoid some of those salads. But if it's cold cuts or uh, sliced meats, you just want to make sure you can cook it or uh, heat it up. It's usually fine. Um, avoiding raw sprouts. So some people are really super healthy and eat sprouts. So it is recommended to avoid raw sprouts. Um, avoid alfalfa sprouts or? Yeah, generally. They put it on sandwiches at Jimmy John's, I think, right? Yeah. Although maybe those might be, yeah, like bean sprouts and stuff. Okay. Um, avoiding undercooked meat. Now this is obvious. You want to make sure your meat is cooked properly. So avoid undercooked meat, poultry, fish, eggs, things like that. So you can't have any raw eggs, which does include as well, like raw cookie dough and batter, like brownie batter. This was was my vice in pregnancy. I love raw cookie dough. So it drove me crazy not to eat it. And that's all I craved was raw cookie dough. Yeah. One and one of the nurses was super sweet. She found a recipe with an eggless raw cookie dough and made it for me. And it was right, you have to get like vegan cookie dough and then you can eat it. Oh my gosh. It was amazing. Well, and then my when I delivered my second one, my asked my mother to make me raw like raw cookie dough and just bring it in a tub. And I literally <laughs> ate it with a spoon in postpartum and ate raw cookie dough and I kept it in that fridge for the patient a- food. Best story I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> I All was, I asked for was a sandwich because I hadn't had cold cuts in nine months. <laughs> and then mine was raw cookie dough. I was yeah. like, just make me an entire batch of raw cookie dough and I want to eat it with a spoon and postpartum. Whatever. You just gave birth. You deserve every bit of that raw cookie <laughs> right. dough if you want it. It's like, I don't care what y'all say. And I kept it in that postpartum fridge <laughs> with all the patient information with that labeled and everything. It was great. Um, all right. And then... Oh, fish. So it is okay to eat fish. You just want to make sure you don't eat fish with high levels of mercury, like swordfish, which most people aren't really eating swordfish, but you can have tuna. You I just love don't... swordfish. Yeah. It's... You like swordfish? Do you eat it? Well, like once every five years. Only uh, like if I'm in Florida near the sea, I will eat a swordfish because it's so good. But yeah. Yeah. I don't know about Texas with swordfish. No, 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 no. I like if I'm in Florida, I'll eat it. Okay. Yeah. That might be a better spot. I mean, I'm sure there's some there's some amazing seafood restaurants in places around, and especially in Austin, there's some nice restaurants. But I don't in general Texas. I try to like my my in in general. I'm like if I'm going to eat a particular kind of seafood that's like specific to one of the coasts, that I eat that when I'm there because it should be the best. Yeah, yeah, I would too. Um, yeah. So avoiding swordfish in pregnancy is probably ideal because that does have a higher mercury level, and then. Tuna, probably most common is tuna. So it is okay to eat tuna. You just don't want to have it every meal of the day. So eating it a couple times a week or, you know, three or four times a week is fine. Just not every meal of the day. Um, And then making sure, yeah, with the cold cuts, lunch meats, hot dogs, make dry sausage. Make sure if it's something pre-cooked, just make sure you reheat it or cook it or heat it up. Um. And then any sort of raw, like pâtés, meat spreads from the deli, you know, that sort of thing, obviously. If it has to be refrigerated, it's probably not. And if it's raw, you want to make sure <laughs> or avoid it altogether. Skip the raw ground beef. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to caffeine, we want to keep it to about 200 milligrams a day, which is not really that bad. It's at least a cup of coffee. So you can have... Depending on how much coffee you drink, um, one cup of coffee is fine. So it's maybe about 150 milligrams in a cup of big cup of coffee, like a normal latte okay. drip coffee. Um, if you do sodas, 
usually they'll put on there how many milligrams of caffeine. So sodas, teas, coffee containing foods and beverages, that sort of thing, all have a little bit of tiny bit of caffeine, but it's not a ton. So you can just watch it and see. Now, people who, as a caveat, we talk when we talk about caffeine, a lot of people, once they're pregnant, they think they can't have caffeine whatsoever, and they cut all caffeine out, and they stop drinking their coffee, and then they start getting rebound headaches. So rebound headaches are usually really bad, um, and they're just taking Tylenol, and they're miserable. So my recommendation is usually just go back to drinking that cup of coffee a day, and you'll be totally fine. If you're getting rebound headaches from stopping all that caffeine, just go back to your cup of coffee a day, and then try taking Tylenol again if you still have headaches. Um, and then, oh, for cats. So those who own cats, we just want to avoid handling of the cat feces So and cleaning the cat litter box. So if you have a cat, you just want to make sure you have your spouse or your um, someone else in the family, whoever else is in the household, um, clean the cat litter box. You just want to make sure you're not handling that. Let's see. That's a chore I think many women are happy to hand off. No, they're like happy to, like, heck yeah. Like, oh, darn, we can't handle the cat litter anymore. <laughs> um, weight gain. So I always get questions about weight gain in pregnancy. Now, 25 to 35 pounds is normal in a normal pregnancy um, with a normal weight, right? If you are underweight, that could be a higher number. So you could be up to, you know, 35 to 40, 45 pounds um, if you're underweight. Now, if you're overweight or obese, that number could be a lot less, like maybe 10 pounds, 15 pounds. Um, just depends on where you're starting off. But if you're at a normal BMI, normal weight, it's going to be about 25 to 35 pounds in a pregnancy. It's pretty standard. And with, with that, it's pretty variable how people gain that weight. Some gain it just in the first trimester and then nothing in the second and then all again in the third. And then some gain a constant first, second, third trimester. It's just a constant gain the whole time. We really don't look at a visit-to-visit visit weight gain. It's not a number thing. It's more of an overall trend that we're looking at, unless it's been like 20 pounds in one vi between visits or something, and then we're wondering, well, what the heck? Or is it a water retention or something uh, something else altogether? But um, then we, we would look into that for sure. But it's right. not really a visit-to-visit, visit. like, oh, I gained four pounds from one visit to the next. Is that okay or is that bad? And um, we're really not looking at it visit to visit unless it's a significant amount. So, but otherwise, overall trend, 25 to 35 pounds is normal in a normal sized BMI patient. And then just general healthy things. So wearing a seatbelt, that's kind of obvious, but. Mm -hmm. And it's safe to do that. I know some people have concerns. Obviously, you put the lap belt uh, mm -hmm. like underneath your belly. Yeah, so the lap belt does go under the belly. So it still goes around the hips. It kind of sits on those hip bones, but it just goes under the belly. So it's not going across the belly. So it's not going to compress the pregnancy or compress the baby. And plus, it's uncomfortable to be over the belly. Yeah. It's only going to be comfortable under it anyway. So, um, but yeah, the lap belt definitely goes under the belly. And then the chest belt, the other one will just be like normal. So that one's yeah. just going to go across like normal. Um, but yeah, the seat belt is an obvious. Airbags are still useful. We still want those um, for for the dentist, for cleanings. We get this question a lot from patients and from dentists, but cleanings are fine. Cleanings are okay. We don't mind cleanings. You can get that done anytime. The question mainly comes up with any sort of procedures or x-rays um, or any other type of um, issue that's more than just a cleaning, I think, is usually what we get the questions about. The cleanings are totally fine. 
It even is okay to do some x-rays if you're going to be shielded. So if you have to do x-rays, ideally, if you can avoid it, great, avoid it. Right. But if you have to do x-rays, then just use the shield. Make sure you shield the abdomen and the thyroid is important. So they have usually those full body shields, like the big like weighted gown almost, and they'll lay it over you. But as long as you can shield it, it should be fine. Um, and usually there's local anesthetic that's used. That's fine. Um, they, the medications afterwards. So most dentists have a form that they like to give us that say, these are the things we like to use. Are these okay or not? And we sign off on it. So most of the time it's like lidocaine for injections and then certain um, narcotics maybe afterwards for like a root extraction or, you know, root canal or, or tooth extraction or whatever. So um, Norco or hydrocodone, certain um, narcotics are safe. So it's just a matter of which ones they're planning on using. And then as long as we sign off on it, it's fine. So I do kind of like to know what they're wanting to use mm-hmm. versus them just handing it out and not asking, but yeah. The, mm-hmm. So, I mean, because it's ibuprofen that's contraindicated, is it in all trimesters or? Right. So NSAIDs are contraindicated in pregnancy throughout the whole thing. So you're really only limited to Tylenol in pregnancy for any kind of pain. So headaches, back pain, aches, everything. Um, you're pretty much limited to just Tylenol. Now, when it comes to headaches, we do Tylenol. You can do all kinds of things. You can do acupuncture. You can do Tylenol. You can do all of that. Um, if Tylenol is not cutting it and it's not a caffeine thing like we just talked about, um, then sometimes we'll write a prescription for Fioracet, which is a headache medication that's yeah. Tylenol, Butalbital, and caffeine all combined. Um, if it's beyond that, a lot of times we will send, like if it's migraines and other issues, a lot of those migraine medications are contraindicated in pregnancy. So we're just really limited on what we can give. Sometimes we will refer to neurology, but then even they're frustrated because they're limited on what they can right. do. And really they're stuck with narcotics or tr- sometimes you can do injections at the base of the skull, depending on the type of migraine. But Man, so that's a tough one when you have migraines in pregnancy. Yeah, sometimes with migraines, it can be better in pregnancy or worse, or just stay the same. So you kind of hit or miss when you get pregnant. You just kind of hope for the best and hope that your migraines are better and that they're not yeah, going to Poor headache sufferers. I really feel for them. They haven't. It's tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's just, it's just tough with pregnancy because you're so limited on what you can use. Um, all right. Obvious like alcohol, cigarettes, drugs, um, obviously that's a no. <laughs> so we avoid all of it. Um, now with the alcohol, the biggest question I get is, oh, I was drinking or I didn't know I was pregnant or we went, we were on a vacation. Right. Cause I think a lot of pregnancy stories start with some alcohol. Yeah. Most of them are because of this vacation or the alcohol. <laughs> so, um, really fetal alcohol syndrome is really for those patients who are alcoholics and really just can't stop. And they're drinking every day throughout the whole pregnancy. So the concern is more of those patients. Now, fetal alcohol syndrome cannot be detected while they're pregnant. It's really something you detect after they're born. So there's nothing you can do for testing or any of that. Um, But really, if you're not an alcoholic, if you're not drinking the entire time of the pregnancy, then you shouldn't worry about fetal alcohol syndrome. I have not seen an issue with fetal alcohol syndrome from a patient who was drinking before they even knew they were pregnant um, or early first trimester. You know, none of all those babies have been fine. It's really for those that are drinking throughout the entire entire thing, Mm -hmm. through the entire development of that baby. Mm -hmm. And then cigarettes, obviously, I would stop. Um, Nicotine patches are good for those who are trying to quit. We definitely do recommend the nicotine patches for those who really can't quit. 
Um, but I would definitely try to at least cut it down as much as possible because it does impact the baby and affect their growth. Uh, low, like low birth weight is one of the mm-hmm. big ones with those, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then drugs, obviously. <laughs> well, right. there's all kinds of drugs out there, but um, yeah. obviously cocaine, heroin, all oh, that's bad. Now, the most common one I get are the questions now are marijuana, um, CBD, all of that. Now, it's become legal in some states, but marijuana or THC specifically is not legal in Texas where we are. Um, CBD is legal here, but it has not been studied. So right now, I think they're working on a lot of studies in some of the states where they have legalized marijuana, THC, and CBD. Um, so patients are enrolling in those. So I think the data will eventually roll out, but right now there's not a lot of data on it. And so we're Right. When there's no data, it's just safe to say avoid. Yeah, we just say no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So at this point, we're saying no until we have more data. But um, early studies have been showing like not a ton of issues like with marijuana. But um, I guess we're we're waiting a while to study that all. Yeah, Yeah, we're waiting to see what that shows. Um, And then CBD, we get that a lot because it is legal here in Texas, but there haven't been any studies on it. So we just don't recommend it until we have more information and studies. And then let's see, what's next? Exercise, um, exercising and physical activity in pregnancy. Um, yes. So whatever you're doing before pregnancy, you can usually continue to do during the pregnancy. So if you are a runner, you can still be a runner. Unless we tell you otherwise, you can really continue doing whatever you are doing. Unless it's something that can put the baby at risk, like kickboxing or something, you know, obviously. <laughs> skydiving, I don't know, you know, whatever you're doing, um, if it can put the baby at risk, then avoid that. But if you're working out like CrossFit or something, you just want to modify things you're doing if you're uncomfortable or hurting, or if, um, if you're doing anything that's too strenuous, we just don't want you, um, straining, like increasing that abdominal pressure, like pushing, you know, just where you're straining, where you're lifting so much that you're straining. We're not trying to do that. We're just trying to keep you in shape. So if it's really easy for you and it's comfortable, then you can continue doing it. So if you ran marathons before pregnancy, you can actually run a marathon while you're pregnant. There's nothing wrong with it. You're just going to make a lot of bathroom stops. Yeah, you're going to have to probably make a ton of bathroom stops. So your marathon number may not be so good. Your time's going to be slower, but you go for that. Right. (laughs) Um, But if you never ran a marathon and you're barely a runner before pregnancy – Pregnant no, time, is, time. Yeah, that, that is not the time to pick up a marathon and run it for the first time in your life. So I would just uh, avoid any sort of new strenuous activities, but you can do normal ones. Yoga, prenatal yoga is really good, actually. That's a good one. Um, and then, oh, we also get questions about hot tubs, saunas, things like that. Pools are fine. It's the hot tub and the saunas because those are meant to increase the temperature quite a bit over your normal temperature. Um, So the concern is increasing is hyperthermia, basically. So hyper, like high, like elevated. High core temperature. Mm -hmm. So hot tubs and saunas probably should be avoided during the first trimester because maternal heat exposure, which can lead to hyperthermia, can be associated with an increased risk of neural tube defects. Um, and possibly other birth defects. So we uh, warn against submersion into hot pools of water, like hot tubs or saunas, or saunas where they're you know hot, where you're increasing your core temperature that high. Yeah. 
but hot baths are okay. So patients are always worried, oh, well, can I not take a hot bath? But hot baths are fine. You're never, you're not going to get that hot like it would with a hot tub. Sure, and the water kind of cools as you're in there. Yeah, and it's cooling off as you're there. So it's not continuously getting hotter and hotter. Okay. Um, when it comes to shots, like immunizations, we recommend the flu shot. So whenever it's flu season, we do recommend the flu shot each time. So if someone's pregnant, we do recommend it in pregnancy. So uh, regardless of the stage of pregnancy, it doesn't matter which trimester, we definitely recommend it. Um, and then we do recommend the pertussis vaccine. So the pertussis is whooping cough. And I know different states are a little different. Um, here in Texas, that. it's a big deal. So we do have a lot of pertussis cases and there's a lot of morbidity when babies are admitted for pertussis. So here in Texas, there is a big push for the Tdap or the vaccine with pertussis. So Tdap actually stands for tetanus, diphtheria, and acellular pertussis. So the tetanus and diphtheria are also in there. You can't get the pertussis vaccine without the others. So it's only bundled into that one vaccine. Oh, okay. So you have to get that one again. And we recommend that one in the third trimester. So 27 to 36 weeks is when we usually give that one. So if you get it in that last trimester, you can actually create those antibodies and now pass it to the baby and they can be born with that protection already. Yeah. And then, um, as a side note, when I was pulling up data for this episode, STDs actually sometimes increase in some patients who are pregnant, mainly because they stop using condoms because they're pregnant and now they don't have to worry about getting pregnant because yeah. they only wore condoms before because they didn't want to get pregnant. So those who were using condoms to prevent pregnancy stopped using condoms and then had an increased risk of sexually transmitted diseases or infections. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. So are you limited in treatments for STDs in pregnancy? No, it's the same treatments. Yeah. So we just got to be able to diagnose it. So if there is any sort of concern or um, issue, like a discharge or a concern at all, um, then we would always check it. And part of the standard panel on the very first visit is checking for gonorrhea and chlamydia. Um, it's a standard thing that's just mandated and recommended. Um, but, you know, you can always contract it later too. Right. So we don't check it throughout the whole pregnancy. We mainly just check it in the beginning. So if there's a risk for that, then we definitely need to know if there's symptoms. Um, let's see what's next. Oh, sleep position. This is a common one we get in pregnancy or during the pregnancy about sleeping. So patients always read or says something like, oh, you can only sleep on your left side. So yes, I remember this. Those poor patients only trying to sleep on their left side. So really, as a general rule, up to 20 weeks or so. So up to 20 weeks, you can sleep however you want. After 20 weeks, that uterus is big enough to kind of compress that vena cava, which is that, that large vein that kind of brings all the blood supply from the bottom half of the body back up to be reoxygenated. So the pregnant, the uterus is big enough to kind of compress that at that point. So after 20 is what we generally recommend sleeping either tilted a little bit or on your side and either side is fine. We don't care really left or right. Data hasn't shown a difference really left or right. Um, but if you're doing just a tiny tilt, sometimes they're, they recommend tilting slightly towards the left. Okay. Um, but otherwise, and they, they're like, don't sleep on your stomach. Right. Well, and I'd say stomach really isn't that bad early first trimester. Cause it's really hard to do. Yeah. It's just until it's uncomfortable, you can probably get away with sleeping on your stomach. Um, 
because the uterus is so small in the pelvis that it's not going to be an issue until it's big enough to come out of the pelvis where it's sticking out. And then you're going to be uncomfortable. It's like laying on a ball. Like you're not going to want to. <laughs> it's uncomfortable anyway. So you're never yeah. going to keep that way. So you can technically lay on your stomach early first trimester because it's not really going to change anything until it's uncomfortable. You can then switch over to your sides. Um, and then, oh, travel. Yeah, that's right. Travel. This is a big one too. A lot of patients ask about traveling. Well, with COVID right Not now. Not anymore. I, like, <laughs> I, I feel like with the travel of COVID now, it's like hardly anybody's asking about travel, but normally it's a big conversation. Right. So, baby moons. People used to go on baby moons. Remember those things? I know. Remember when we used to go on vacations? Um, or, I mean, I guess some people are traveling like just to their, yeah. I don't know. There's a little bit of travel. I still get the question a little bit here, but um, the main thing is, Sitting for long periods of time, whether you're in a plane or in a car, you're at increased risk for blood clots in the leg. So you want to get out and stretch your legs or you can wear compression stockings. Now, I usually tell patients, if you're on the road in a car, you are going to have to probably stop and take breaks. You're going to have to pee or eat or something because when you're pregnant, you got to pee all the time or you're hungry. So you're going to be stopping to pee and eat no matter what. Yeah. You're not going on any long hauls. Yeah. (laughs) So if you're on a couple hour drive, you're probably going to stop at least once. Um, same thing on for planes. So if you're on an airplane, then you're probably going to have to get up and use the restroom at some point. My recommendation for airplanes is to get an aisle seat because it'll be easier to get to the bathroom. You don't have to crawl over everybody and you can just easily access the aisle. (laughs) Then you can just pop up to the bathroom back and forth. You can also wear compression stockings as well. So you don't have to worry about it as much. Um, But you're probably gonna have to get up and use the restroom anyway. Usually we recommend restricting travel about 36 weeks and on so that you don't leave town when you're term, when there's a higher risk of delivering or, you know, having a complication or, you know, going into labor. So usually 36 weeks and up, we just want you to kind of stay closer to home. And then when it comes to airlines, uh, they also have specific requirements. They usually restrict you as well, usually up to about 36 weeks or so. They're all different. They all have different policies. You would have to check your own airline policy when it comes to um, their travel restrictions and or the gestational age for their travel. Um, but most of the time it's 37 to 36 weeks or so for most. Do you have to provide notes a lot of time for people who are wanting to fly? Because I'm just thinking, you know, this awkward situation where you're Mm -hmm. presenting to the gate agent and maybe you may, I don't know, maybe you're showing more or less and they assume you're farther along than you are. Like that could be an interesting situation. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I haven't had it in a while, but back when we were traveling a lot more before COVID, um, most patients were worried about it. And they were, if they felt like they were showing or bigger than what, if they uh-huh. felt like they looked bigger than their gestational age, they were worried about flying and we would provide notes. Okay. So it would be a basic note just saying that they're pregnant and here's their due date. And it would be mm-hmm. pretty simple. It wouldn't be a lot of medical yeah. details. I mean, it's easy enough to write. I just, you know, we've yeah. all seen some of those chaotic airport situations. I can imagine someone know. Like, no, I swear I'm really not that pregnant. <laughs> I know. Well, and I don't know anyone who's ever actually been detained or, you know, not allowed to fly. But I know personally when I was, I think I was 32 weeks and I went to a conference in Boston and I was with my mother, who's also a pediatrician. And so we were together and I was harassed slightly by the flight attendant. You know, she would ask, 
oh, hey, are you are you from there? Are you planning on delivering there? And I was like, no, I'm just going for a conference. And yeah. they give me these looks like, I can't believe you're here and you're flying. And I was like, what is, I was like, I'm pretty sure we got this. I'm going to be Right, yeah, you're I'm like, I can basically deliver this baby by myself. I need yeah. to. <laughs> like, I think we're fine, lady. Um, but I think it came off of a few weeks prior, there was someone who actually delivered in an airplane and left the baby in the trash can in the air, in the, the toilet no. area yeah, in the, in the plane and they got off the plane. And then when they were cleaning the plane after they oh landed, gosh. they found the baby in there and they knew exactly whose it was, yeah. I guess. So there was this big panic. And so a few weeks from that is when I traveled. And so I think they were all on edge with any pregnant person that just stepped on the plane, but. Okay. I, thinking, I can, I can understand know. that then. Yeah. I, I think they were a little more on edge than they probably normally would have been. But um, I was like, yeah, I think we got this. I'm fine. We're yeah. okay. Wow. <laughs> I'm just 32 weeks. Leave me alone. Yeah. So, but some people I feel like they feel like they're showing or they're bigger than yeah. their gestational age or they feel like they, they look bigger. And so we do provide notes for those so that if they are questioned, okay. we have the data for them for that. So, um, all right. Oh, the other only other thing with travel would probably be Zika. So, I mean, we haven't heard about Zika in a while now, but um, the CDC does have a website where they still have a list of those areas where Zika is a problem or where they don't recommend going if you're pregnant. So, usually you just have to check the CDC website for that and make sure and just be sure you're not going anywhere where the Zika virus is prominent. So, Um, and then... I think the other thing that you were going to chat about was sex during pregnancy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sex. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, sex during pregnancy is a common question. It is completely safe in pregnancy to have intercourse, just unless we tell you otherwise. So if you have a condition or a placenta previa where the placenta is right there by the cervix and you're likely to bleed, we would say no, not don't have intercourse or don't do anything in there. Um, so unless we tell you otherwise, it's completely safe to have intercourse um, and to have sex. The cervix is much more sensitive when you're pregnant. So it's much more likely to spot or bleed while you're pregnant. Um, if it's touched at all. So if you have a, an exam, if you have intercourse, if you have an ultrasound down there, anything that touches the cervix can make it spot. You can also have a little spontaneous spotting here and there, but anything that touches the cervix can make it bleed or spot. So it is really common to have spotting or bleeding um, right after intercourse or within the 12 hours after intercourse. We get that phone call quite often. Um, Or patients come to triage and labor and delivery all the time for spotting or bleeding in pregnancy. And the first thing we ask them is, when's the last time you had intercourse? And it's usually fairly recent. So it's just one of those things we like to make sure patients know so they don't panic. But anytime you have bleeding in pregnancy, it's always a panic mode. So we always like to check on patients and babies no matter what. So. Yep, safer, safer to just check it out. Mm-hmm. But, and then I'd say the only other couple of things would probably be um, constipation in pregnancies. Pretty common. Usually you get that in that first trimester. It's usually pretty bad. Stool softeners are really good. You can do Miralax if you need to. But if you can just stay on top of the stool softeners, you're probably better off. And then also any sort of iron supplements that you're taking can make you more constipated. So then you just want to make sure you take stool softeners to keep it all soft. So, um, so it doesn't get too backed up and too bad. And then if it's really bad, I would say, I would point out if it's really backed up and like, if you haven't gone in like a week and you know, it's already bad, 
you can do enemas like a fleet's enema or something over the counter to because you're going to have to work that out from below. Like you're not going to be able to take stool softeners. Those are only making whatever you are currently making soft. It's not going to magically make everything soft. So if you're already backed up and you're impacted, you're going to have to work it out from below and do like an enema or a fleet's enema or something. Um, and then for... Oh, we talked about um, Tylenol already. So mm-hmm. Tylenol is pretty much all you're limited to in pregnancy. So um, yeah, with headaches and all that. So just can't take any of the NSAIDs like Aleve, Ibuprofen, Motrin. All of those are off limits. So you just want to make sure you don't take any NSAIDs. We do get a lot of questions about like, are there any um, over-the-counter supplements that are contraindicated in pregnancy? You know, like um, St. John Ward or some of these different things well, that people take. That one's tricky because those aren't um, those aren't regulated by the FDA. So yeah. um, it just depends on what they're on. So usually patients will bring me things and ask me, and I, I usually just say, well, it's not really studied. We can't say it's safe. Sure. Um, Same with a multivitamin, and that's about it. Yeah. Uh, you're kind of stuck with multivitamins. Some of them have – there's a lot of new – protein shakes and uh, like shakes that patients are on nowadays. Um, and there's a lot of things in there, but a lot of the vitamins are really good. So all the B vitamins are safe in pregnancy. Yeah. Um, so all of those are fine. a lot of some of the herbal stuff that it comes the out herbal things that are questionable because it's obviously not FDA regulated. So you don't know really what's in it. Um, you hope that what they say is in it, but you just really don't know. Um, so if you have a question and you're on specific supplement, obviously that's a discuss with your OB kind of question. Yeah. Usually I want them to take pictures of it or pictures of the ingredient list on the back. And then we look at it together and kind of go over it. And some of the things I don't even know what they are because they'll list all kinds of stuff. I don't even know what it is or how to pronounce it. Um, but a lot of times if they can take a picture of the ingredient list, like on protein shakes or um, any sort of packets that they're using for a mix for some sort of a drink, um, it's easier if I can see the ingredient list or if they bring them in, sometimes they'll bring the packets in, but if they have a picture or can they, they can bring it in, it's easier to look at it all. All right. Yeah. I think that's, well, that's a lot, but I know, that's great, like, great information. I mean, um, a lot of, a lot of what people can expect at their first visit. So thanks for sharing that. <laughs> received a great voice message from one of our listeners about last week's episode, Sex Store Rendezvous, and she has some advice for some of our other listeners as well. Hi, I just wanted to say I loved the podcast. Um, I had a few thoughts as you're giving tips to spice things up. I flashed back to my 20s where a certain back massager was my very close friend. And, you know, you can become dependent on that level of stimulation. So just a word to the wise for your other listeners to maybe consider, you know, going the old-fashioned route in addition to spicing it up with something a little vibrating sometimes. I mean, if there's a zombie apocalypse, we can't all be going out looking for batteries. You know what I mean? Anyway, just a tip from me to you. That's it for today. Thank you for tuning in. 
We have been loving all the feedback and questions we are receiving. Please keep them coming. And don't forget, if you want to leave a voice message, you can just go to the link at the bottom of the description in the episode. You may even hear your question or comment in the show. And remember to subscribe so you'll be the first to know every time we release a new episode. We are so grateful for all the downloads, rates, and reviews. These help to drive our podcast up in the rankings and make it easier for others to find us. If you have an interesting idea or question you want us to answer on the podcast, just send us an email at titstotoespodcast at gmail.com or message us on Instagram at fromtitstotoes. And remember, keep your tits up and your toes down.